0: Welcome to another distinct nostalgia by MIM. More than a podcast.
1: Brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust.
0: Staying well, staying home. Earlier this year, we lost one of Britain's favourite comedians. On the 2nd of April, Eddie Large, one half of the fabulous double act Little and Large, died from COVID 19. In a special interview, Sid Little has been remembering his longtime comedy partner and their years together making people laugh. He's been chatting to Distinct Nostalgia's Caroline Haywood.
1: So we're taking this trip down comedy lane. Obviously, you are incredibly well-known as being part of a double act. And unfortunately, um, Eddie passed away at the beginning of lockdown. April 2nd, yeah. yeah. Absolutely devastating. I
2: think a lot of people, you know, including me, obviously. But, I mean, it was very sad. Mm. He's been very ill for a while. He, he started having uh, what's known as a heart failure and um, you know, heart problems. He, he had to have a heart transplant, which he did. Otherwise, he obviously would have been dead. So it's like six, yeah, sixteen years ago, he had a heart transplant. You know, and, and that's the full thing, proper. All the, the like, one in, one out, and uh, wow. so he lasted another 16 years. But it was on tablets, and it really was a strain on, on him, you know. And that's why once he had the heart transplant, we we couldn't work together again. Sad, because uh, he did after dinner speaking when he felt like it, and uh, I sort of um, started a, a career on the cruise ships. Funny enough, I did nine years. That's when I met Mick Miller and all that, and Bernie Cliff, everyone. But um the uh, you know it it was it was uh, nine years and pantomime but it was very hard for me because being a double act all those years and I was the straight man I was the straight man I you know, I didn't do the gags or anything Eddie did that I just stood there as a you know as Eddie's stooge as it were really but it, it worked and when, except when we went on television then I had to start to talk which that's when it went all wrong <laughs> but um no it, it was okay but um the, the, the thing is, he, he, it was very hard for me to, to actually establish myself as a single act when when he, he sort of re, um, semi-retired, you know, so I... And uh, uh, it was very hard, like, agents would phone me up and say, you know, am my agent up? And me agent would phone around to see if he could get me and They'd say, well, we know what Little and Large did, but what does Sid Little do on his own? And it took me, you know, people took a chance with him, and then they read, oh, he's great, yeah, we'll have you again, Sid, but, but, but. And I'd, like I say, I did nine years um, pantomimes all, all over the place, York, everywhere, and uh, and um, did, do summer seasons because summer seasons were were gone then in yeah. the, in the 2000s, you know, um, and so it was uh, it, it was it was but eventually I enjoyed it for yeah. so long and then I always said that I'd, uh, when I stop enjoying it I'll, I I won't do it anymore so. Um, yeah, I, I'm sort of retired from the business. I, I do things now and again.
1: Yeah, I, tell yeah.
2: I did that Marigold Hotel that about was an four absolute
1: years ago. absolute delight. Was that was it? one I, of our favorite viewings. Yeah, it, yeah, about it, four it, years ago that you know, was it? Was it? Yeah, I I, went, ad- I adored yeah, that.
2: They sent me to Vietnam after that.
1: Oh, yeah, oh, so. I haven't seen that one. No, it was
2: only, it was all we did. a um, I think we were over there for about a fortnight or something like that. In well, um, India, we were a month, you know. Yeah. Yeah, but I think it was uh, nine days it was, yeah, in Vietnam. And so, and so it was like, uh, the, although it was a series, like the Indian one, it was um, it was uh, different people who went to different places. Over I remember the, now, yeah. Yeah, so yeah. maybe that's why it was only a one-off, as it were. Yeah, I
1: missed that one.
2: But, um, yeah, yeah, and, and, and uh, like I say, I'm retired from it, but now I've ended up in a pub... Because that's I've come full circle now. Because I started off in pubs when I was a teenager, you know, yeah. getting up on stage—that's the stage there—and uh, just singing and playing. Because you used so, to have free and easies then, you know, just get up, anyone could get up and sing before karaoke. Yeah, know?
1: yeah, it was the it was the open mic type exactly, yeah, scenario. Yeah, yeah. Well, let's go back to that then. So you said you um, were born here because your mum was over here during the war. Well, she and she was
2: sent out here to to have me.
1: Right. Okay. Because because
2: you know, because, um, you know the, the bombs were dropping on Manchester because uh, it was a target for the for the bombers and that from Germany. Yeah, and so this was for some unknown reason. You know, Adolf Hitler didn't uh, start bombing Blackpool. He never never bothered with it. You know? Well,
1: apparently he wanted it as his yeah. own little playground, didn't That's
2: he? Yeah, right. he all his generals and all that to have it as their thing. Apparently, yeah. But, um, Lucky for me, you know, they they, they changed all the hotels into um, maternity hospitals, most I didn't of know them. That. And my mum t- told me for years, she said, "Oh, you were born in the Angel Hotel in Blackpool." I
0: said, "Was
2: I?" Wow! And I believed her until I was about twenty-five or something like that. And she said, "You don't believe me, do you?" I said, "Yeah." I am telling "You you weren't." No, it was called, and it was called Central oh, Drive cool. <laughs> Central Drive Hotel. Uh, so it's still there, apparently. Oh, is it's, it? But it is a hotel now. Yeah.
1: So who was? So when you went back to Manchester, who was at home then?
2: Uh, well, my dad was in the RAF. He was out in Burma uh, during the war. For, for I mean, I was I, I didn't know my dad until I was five years old because he, he was still out there. Nineteen forty. I was born in forty-two, and he came back about forty-six. Not four years old. Forty-six. Yeah. Wow, that's massive, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, well, we, apparently me and my brother, who was two years older than me, he, so he was only about one or two when my dad went, so he didn't remember him. And then when he stood when he stood at the front door with all his RAF stuff on and all that, we we scared, we cried, nah, mummy, mummy, you know, just wanted our mum, you know. It must have been hard for people coming back yeah. from the war and not having seen the families and then you know, it must have been so strange, you know, to think, why don't they recognise me all? Yeah. yeah. At least and he came back, yeah.
1: Well, yeah, and there's that thing, isn't there, of of those, those early years as a child and the bonding yes. that you do, yeah. it, and particularly in a time of great stress like that, you yeah. probably cling more, and if yeah. your mum's the only one there, yeah. to all of a sudden introduce... Somebody who's completely new, it's not now like now where you can phone and have the that's conversations right. and, and was, see it somebody. Was, it was four
2: years of nothing, yeah. I, I mean, she couldn't even. I've got a thing upstairs, it's a it's a like a postcard. And my father was quite artistic, you know, and he, he used to like Disney and he didn't like uh, I think it was um, Daffy Duck or someone like that. Yeah. But and and he drew, you know, how's my when I was being that's right, it must have just been before he he either left for, for India then he went to Burma or you know and because you weren't allowed to put kisses because it could have been a code or something you know on, oh. on, a, on a card and they were all vetted and that's why it was a postcard you couldn't put it in a letter as such and um and so it was all that and that's how he did it little Mickey Mouse and it was all ask- he's asking my mum about how's our little bundle of joy our Christmas parcel because I was born on December the 19th so just Aww. before he didn't know so he never knew I was born for a long time yeah.
1: and did that bond eventually grow over well, when time? He, when he came
2: back yeah um, he had years to catch up and when you realise it, it's your dad you yeah. know and uh, and my brother of course Um and and then when I became a teenager, I was fourteen, and I always remember it was rock and roll. It was you're in the fifties now, so it was rock and roll. You know, Elvis had brought a new meaning to teenage. Like teenagers, there was no such word as a teenager till the fifties. Yeah, I mean that that was invented by our generation, and. Um, so uh, we, it, we, it was. It was. Uh, I think I, I was really liking music. I mm-hmm. mean, Dad used to play the cornet in the RAF band, but then he split his lip and he started the accordion. So he used to have. A, he had an accordion on every Christmas. He'd bring it out and play it, and I was gobsmacked. Wow, you know, but it's a bit too much for me. That yeah. So I ended up going. Um, so, so this advert in the Daily Mirror saying, uh, "Welcome to Britain, Elvis Presley," who never came, of course um you know, uh, buy this guitar, seven and six, so on. seven shillings and sixpence, which, for me, I was a paper boy then, you know, yeah. paper round and a paper round. So, me, um, me, me, I got it, waited for it coming on for us. Has it come, Mum? Where's it come? Then it came, it was a little plastic thing that you could get from the market now, you know, but with Elvis on and all that, but I was determined not to waste my money, and my dad tuned it up for me. It was a little plastic ukulele, really, nylon strings and it was my doghouse fleas dang 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 that's how you tune a ukulele up <laughs> and so and, and i was singing all the songs of the day because in the 50s you could you know with three chords on a ukulele or a guitar you could play nearly every song that was going in the charts in the hit parade sorry that yeah it was called, like lonnie Donigan well the rock ain't lane she's a mighty good road Well, the rock ain't lane and all this you know and there were loads of those and so it would come quite easy to me and my dad was very encouraging towards me you know to do it could be a musician himself and uh, then i'd got go to i think when i was about 16 i used to sneak into like uh, the navigation pub it was got no club railway club yeah in manchester and get up and just sing peggy uh, buddy holly i think it was um. yeah. if you knew peggy Sue, and it was when it was just a, I, by this time i'd, I'd uh, I, I got a better guitar it was like a um, I got my first guitar, with me my um, Christmas savings from my um, paper, and I used to go know, they and knock on the door, Merry Christmas, and they <laughs> give you half a crown or something like that. And I had, it was eight guineas I think it cost me, and uh, and I, I got to play that, it was harder because it's metal strings and it was six, six strings instead of four, you know. And eventually got it. Like I say, I went to this. So you club.
1: were you, you weren't having lessons. You were self taught. No,
2: self taught. Well, my dad. Yeah. Like I say, he showed me to get me going. Yeah. And then I just took it off then because most of the guitarists and that that were born in my era that w- did better things on the guitar than I ever did, like Eric Clapton and all that. They they couldn't read music or They were all
1: self taught, just purely by ear yeah. and and yeah. copying what you we yeah. we were listening to these. Um, Elvis and Buddy yeah. Holly on the radio. Exactly.
2: Was it, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, because in those days, I think the, we got our first sort of a, a record playing, the old 78s, plastic 78s, uh, and, and it was a wind up uh, r- gramophone, but it'd been, it'd been um, made into an electric one. Don't right. ask me why, but you know, well, because that, that's they were just coming in and we were, we were only working class people and we couldn't afford them. A proper one uh, in the fifties, and and I think the first record we ever got was um, I think it was uh, Singing the Blues by Guy Mitchell, and uh, Hound Dog by Elvis. <laughs> you know, great, absolutely brilliant. And uh, that was it. I was hooked. So yeah. I went to be a pop star, but I used to I was just enjoying getting up and entertaining. But with me, sort of wearing glasses, you know, the National Health glasses. And I didn't have a proper suit, you know, um, and I had a, a failed crew cut. They meant my crew cut would not stick up because in <laughs> the 50s it was either a crew cut or a Tony Curtis and a DA, which was a, yeah, I won't say it was <laughs> it, yeah. that's what they called it. And uh, and, and I, I, everything failed where I was concerned as a teenager and uh, and people used to laugh, you see, But, but and so I started singing songs like uh what was it, Tommy Steele? And once upon a time there was a little white bull. And you know, and I love seeing people's faces. You know, eventually, Speedy Gonzales. You know, mm-hmm. you know, uh, la 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 la, and all that. And then, so,
1: you said you got up in the in the pub yeah. at sixteen.
2: Yeah.
1: Had anybody said to you what what um what is it that makes you think? I can do that. I'll get up and. Were you doing it at home and people were telling you? Yeah. Yeah. Oh well, no one told... It's just that,
2: I think it was just a progression. Like I say, I learnt them. I remember the best place, best house room in the house was the toilet. Because it used to echo, you yeah. Know? You <laughs> and, sound and, amazing in the back I remember, there, <laughs> I remember sitting, sitting on the toilet once, going nothing to, to Michael Holliday's, i nothing to do and nowhere to go and no one to listen to my Taylor Wolf, and uh, you know, and it and it went from there. Like I say, and then the pubs, and then me mum and dad, bless them, they went to the Brooklyn's Trades and Labour Club, and my dad went to the Sailor Hotel. So you know, Christmas especially, I'd, I'd go in, you know, and this one time in the Sailor Hotel, the Christmas. I'd go in with my mates, so I was about seventeen now. And if you're with your parents he used to let you in the pubs because they were only they only open until about half past ten. And so uh, we in in the vaults as well. There was different rooms in pubs. The vaults and which is where all the fellas go. The snug, you know, in Corridation Street, old um mm. and Ina yeah. Sharples, yeah. And then the concert room. So I'm in the, the I'm in the um the the vaults with my dad and he had his accordion, and we split, split the vaults up, like all the old men, all the, like I say, from the army, were over that side, and me and the teenagers that were in there were a bit older than me, but they, they were all there. They'd be on my side, because they knew the songs I knew. And we'd have like a competition. My dad would do like, he was into the ink spots, you know, why do you whisper green grass? <laughs> you know, and then I'd start, oh, well, the Rocky ain't she's the man of the road, <laughs> you know, and all my mates, you, you know, and it was brilliant. And the rest of the pub got to know and he said, hey, hey, we want, you know, we want us to hear it, we want to hear it. So, of me, I went round with my guitar. You know, my dad didn't, he stayed in, But I went round to the other, and unbeknown to me, my brother, who was older than me, and my best mate, Fred Clare, they were walking behind me and I'm singing at all at like the snug and the concert room and everything. Really having a great time. And when they got back to the to, to the vaults with him, they had two pint pots full of half crowns and things. So, whoa, I thought this, hey, this is good. <laughs> I wow. think I like show business.
1: <laughs> so, so that's, that's a lot of from From having to save up to get your guitar yeah, to yeah. be able to in one night I think in I one got it back yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> so yeah. I, and then I started um, doing like I say the Brooklyn Trades and Labour Club the Timpley Trades and Labour Club on my own and I had a little app together you know a couple of spots and that was it that's all you needed and uh, this fella offered me three quid for one night well I was I was a painter and decorator apprentice painter and decorator and I was um, I was just getting um, you know the uh, th- th- Took to, I think it was two pound ten shillings for a forty-eight hour week, and I went on like the Brooklyn Trades and Labour Club and got three quid for one night. I thought, hey, this is good. But I was enjoying it. Yeah, you know, it wasn't the money wasn't everything. It was just that was a bonus. You know, it was just that I really enjoyed performing, and and as I say, I started doing comedy songs, and uh, because that they went down best because I'm I'm not a great singer, I'm not a great guitarist, but you know. It, it, you know, people say you've got such a personality, so so, mm. so it came across obviously. And then when I was seventeen, uh, we used to go to this Sale de Carno, and that's uh, more or less when Eddie Large first saw me. He saw me before he told me. You know, after, yeah. Before I saw him, he said, and he, he what got him? We used to be in gangs in those days. There was a Moss Side gang in Manchester. It was called and then the Within Shore Gang, which I was in. Nothing, I never saw any, well, now and again, a little bit of violence. I can't
1: imagine you said a little bit of violence. No, 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 I wasn't, (laughs) I I ran. But the thing was,
2: I always remember Eddie saying these years later, he said, oh, he said, and he's asked, you know, when did you meet and all that, and he'd have the the stock answers, you know, oh, we met by accident, you know, I ran him over on a zebra crossing, you know, things like that. And uh, the, the, it was the, the, was in this put the the canna like a dance hall like I say, and he was in this gang and he's looking over at the Withenshaw gang and he saw me with like say me national health glasses on, I had like what used to call a D mob suit that they give the, the fellas when they came out of the army. And, and it didn't fit me. The you know the pants were dead wide, you know, bell bottomed And maybe I was the first one to have flares before flares were invented. <laughs> but uh, it was great, you know, and uh, he, t- he said I looked over and he saw, Wow, me failed cut. he said, anyone who looks that hard you know, anyone who looks like that must be hard. <laughs> <laughs> I thought, Wow, I've got a reputation already. You don't he mess didn't need with to me. do
1: any of the writing. No, no, no.
2: no. <laughs> so uh leave me alone yeah but then you know we got to know each other again because some of their mates knew our mates and used to play football because that was Eddie's love he loved football Manchester City obviously that's when he he was from Glasgow originally came down from Glasgow when he was eight with his family and they lived on Main Road which was where you know city's ground was and that was his love that started his love of City and then uh, I wasn't really into football, but I used to go to the, the, the park with them and we'd save up on a Tuesday and that for, for um, holidays. And every uh, three years on the trot 17, 18, 19 we used to save up. And uh, the last week in July and the first week in August we'd, we'd get the train. We'd either go to Liverpool or Fleetwood, funny enough, and you get the train from Manchester, and it come right here, right outside this pub here now, because over there is the the wire, and you'd you'd get on the Isle of Man ferry, and you'd go to the Isle of Man for a fortnight, cause havoc, and then come back, you know, and and then get on the train here and back home to Manchester, and that was for three years, and the gang was about thirteen of us, you know, and we we go over there, and that's. When me and Eddie struck up this relationship, we went over in Alaman. Uh, it was called, uh, oh, what's called the mar- m- the marina. No, what's it called? The big hotel, the big room, the Winter Gardens, like a, a cabaret thing. They, um,
1: do, they have got somewhere called the, have the they Marina. Got a hall? It hall. is hall. the Marina yeah. like we've got here, yeah. yeah.
2: And uh, and the on a I think it was a Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday they used to have talent competitions. The Tuesday was for the kids. Teenagers on a Wednesday and adults on a, a Thursday. So w- we, it was raining, pointed out and we went and we sat on on the floor in the dance hall. It was packed because everyone was in, and and our mates had put us in for it, me and Eddie, because by then he, you know I'd be playing guitar and he'd sing. Uh, the impression of Cliff Richard, and all that. He goes, Hi, you know, in all you know, myself a- crying, talking, <laughs> sleep, and he'd do all that. I
1: think I learned my Cliff Richard impression from watching Eddie. Eddie, yeah. <laughs> I, he was a
2: blinking good impressionist, which a lot of people didn't realise he was, you know.
1: You'd already done some stuff together, had yeah, you? Yeah, and
2: it come, would come, like I say, the first time was Timberley Trades and Labour Club, and he, I'd done my first spot on my own. I was booked on my own, and he was with, with his then girlfriend. And he said, um, "Can I get up with you with a second spot?" So I said, "Yeah, if you want, you know." So uh, so we got up and did the songs we knew, and the place was in uproar, you know, and everything. And the cost- and
1: it, it was straight singing, was it? He, he just well, got it, up and sang with you. It
2: what it, well, it, there wasn't no it, there wasn't much comedy, but there were comedy songs. Like I say, right. it was like do you remember? Um, uh, what's he called? Uh, Benny Hill, you know, I rise at six and I feed the chicks and I'm feeling lonesome and blue Nip. You know, all that. Yeah. And that was it, I was a, Nip. <laughs> Yeah. and then he would sum it. Oh. And then like Speedy Gonzales, you know, it was a moonlit night on all Mexico. And then all of a sudden he ate la la la, and then he'd be at the back of the club with a sombrero on and all that and come running in. You know, you better come home, Speedy, and he'd run, and being the size he was, Everyone was falling about laughing, you know. Oh
1: my goodness! And, then, and without any rehearsal, so yeah, you just yeah, kind we of just, sat there and went, "No, Eddie, do you just, know this? Do you know well,
2: that?" I just left Eddie did it. No, no, there was none of that. It was just, <laughs> it was just get up, and that's what I was saying. But there, there was so, the, the, the great, the breeding ground in those days was the pubs and clubs for people like me and Eddie to get up, and you just did what you, you could, you know, and uh, yeah. did what you knew best, and it, it just grew and grew. And then people started saying, oh, you're funny, you know, and all that. And then Eddie, just, just, it just came naturally. It's like, uh, I'd be stood there learning the guitar, because, like say, I say, I progressed from three chords to about, well, I could do quite a few now, but it, it was a learning curve for me. And I'd be there thinking, oh, what's the next song we're doing? Yeah, And Eddie would be chatting to a, the audience, you know. And then say like, uh, like and, and then i come off stage, and we go to the bar for a pint, because you're done, you know. We called Sid and Eddie. Then couldn't afford second names, <laughs> and uh, so um, they, we, yeah, we sat that stood at the bar, and they say, uh, "Sid, how do you keep your face so straight?" You know, all oh, the joke he's doing the jokes. I don't remember him doing jokes, you know, and and I said, "Wow, you know, uh, I never thought." And I thought we have got something here.
1: Yeah. So that's
2: when we're being crea- We were creating ourselves. We, you know, everything was something different. We remembered. Like if someone had told us, you know, when you do this, you know, do that and do this. Oh, good idea. Yeah, we, we took a lot on board and, um, you know, and it, it was great. And then, because like I say, I'd be stood there and Eddie would go like, it uh, would um, say, uh, you know, look at him. If he turned sideways and stuck his tongue out, it would look like a zip. If he had four more navels, he'd look like a flute, you know. <laughs> you know, when he wears his blue suit, he looks like a refill for a viral. You know, and, and th- that's because I was thin, I was really skinny and Eddie was on the stocky side and and so it, it it took off and that's when the comedy started coming in and then obviously his impressions were great and we started doing singing impressions which really came uh, us off and and it just grew from it we got offered like i say when he, we did our first one and we got offered uh, he said sit i want you back the so concert set but as a double act he said uh, i'll gi- I'll give you 6 quid Well, I thought, wow. But me being me, I didn't realise three and three is six. So (laughs) I won't get any more anyway. Because that's one thing all the years we've been together, bless him. uh, It was right down the middle, 50-50. Even when we started earning money in the 70s and 80s, 50-50. None of us were, were
3: different. Do you want a cup of tea? I'll have half a
0: cup.
1: And that caught on. Yeah, that became a kind of catchphrase, I think.
3: It was the hilarious film of 1999. It wasn't anything to do with race or religion or creed or colour. It was as simple as an art student who thinks he's all free and easy, creating a model of a vagina and showing it to his mum and thinking that that's going to be okay. East is East by Ayyub Khan Din broke new ground by portraying a relationship between a British woman and her Asian husband and their mixed-race family growing up in Salford in the early 1970s. A clash of cultures and generations ensues.
1: Oh, frig off and wash your bastard curtains, you dirty cow. And I swear to God, that's one of the best lines I've ever
3: had to say in my life. But the film had a serious side too, tackling both racism and domestic violence. I threw myself and put all my physical strength into trying to stop him. And I couldn't. In Helsinki they were saying, I can't believe you made this film. It's incredible because it's showing what life is like for us now. A series of special interviews with Linda Bassett, Leslie Nicol, and Chris Bisson.
1: It was a great script and it was a timely thing to tell because it hadn't been told before.
3: They've done all sorts of incredible things to transport you back in time to give you an authentic feel of what it was like. This series of special interviews is available now at distinctnostalgia.com.
1: So, as you're kind of building what you do and trying things out, who else was that, was this all around Manchester mainly?
2: Mainly Manchester, yeah, because we didn't have a car. We didn't, we, you know, we we used to get the bus. And they had a big Vox AC-30, AC it was called, well, the Beatles used to have them, big black thing and, and uh, me, me... Is that an amp for yeah, so the
1: guitar? Oh, was, yeah, right, okay. valves,
2: valves as well, they were heavy. And used to get the bus and stick it under it, and then we used to do clubs like the Princess Club and the Domino Club, which is due in one night. So we'd have to get the bus from there to the other club and then do that and then go home. And, and I think it was, we turned professionally in 1963, Right. And when the Beatles were just starting, and we started, we, you know, they went a different way. But me and Eddie went the comedy way. And uh, uh, anyway, so it was sixty three, and Eddie bought a minivan, a, min, a minivan it was, and uh, oh, it was a Sebastian little van, and and it saved us a lot. But I couldn't drive; I didn't drive for about f- two years, three years, and it was only when Eddie said, "You're going to have to learn to drive," you know, he said. Uh, he said, I can't do all the drive Cause by then, we're actually driving off. We're going to Sunderland and places like that, the Northeast, because there's a lot of working men's clubs up there. Mm. And we did them, and then we would come here. We'd be going to Liverpool, you know, Manchester. Started moving out, mm-hmm. and uh, and and we had all the. To us, people, you say like it must have been hard in the in the early days. And we said, it wasn't because we didn't know any different." People said, "Well, oh, if you can make it in the North East and, and Manchester area, you know, you've, you'll, you'll do it anywhere, which is true. Mm. And that's what happened. But we didn't feel it was a hardship. We, we enjoyed doing it. That's, I think, what it was. But it, 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 it just got, we just got better and better mm. as the years went on.
1: Well, you're learning You're learning to read a crowd, you're yeah. learning what works, you're kind of gauging, well, that works there, but it doesn't work here well, yeah. in the various places you go. That's
2: right, yeah, especially, yeah, moving out, like you say, in the North East, the language was a bit better. But that was sort of, like I say, this is where we, we actually did well because Eddie did all the impressions and he, he could do all the dialogues uh, wherever we were in Wales, you know, at London or there's only the phone folks it's in the book must be a booking <laughs> I'll take it <laughs> uh, so the... Eddie would go up into the north which is great and they used to be, I always remember this was a little bit later we in the 60s now we're in the 60s and uh, long way to go isn't it yeah <laughs> and we're in the 60s and uh, and it was Alf Weed saying pet I don't even remember and, all, yeah. and it was all about Geordie's uh, well north And one was from Newcastle one was from Sunderland the other one was from uh, Middlesbrough and then there was a Birmingham, you know, Birmingham. And Eddie did a brilliant impression of all four, you know, the Birmingham one he did. They, they, the, uh, I forget his name, but there was I think uh, Jimmy Nail was from Newcastle, mm. you know. And it, he, it, the great thing you, anyone could do, why are you a bugger, you know, get mm. you? hand up not nick your leg, you know, and, and all that. You, you can have a twelve but you have Eddie, phrases, don't Oh, you? and Eddie did the fantastic. In he, he, we used to go up there and say, "Why Eddie?" He said, "You know, you get the locals." To him. You, you're you so good you said, because you, you you do the different accents because there's accents in the area yeah like Middlesbrough and Sunderland and, and Newcastle are comp- not completely different but they you know there is a difference mm. and he was doing the difference on these on these um, you know on these impressions which a lot of people and, and he was brilliant like that yeah so we got away with that he could you know people liked you mm. because you you, you you made an effort to to be part of them, type of thing. Yeah, and and it just grew and grew. And then, I think in the sixties we started to um, think, wow, well, you had know, to take it serious then because we was getting a little bit more. I think it was about seventy-five pound a week or something like that.
1: And how many shows would that would that be? How what was uh, your you'd week go for a, a week
2: or a fortnight, and in the,
1: in the, to one area, area yeah. yeah,
2: like Sunderland and that. we you'd, you'd have digs. Do it's called used to be called um, pro digs. Professional digs, and it was um, you know all mostly full of musicians and artists because there was I, I mean it, it was great times the sixties bec- f- for clubs because they were all all of us were, that's when all the ones in the seventies and eighties the na- names you knew in the seventies and eighties came through as Freddie Starr, Mike Yarwood, The Bachelors, all the ones um, you know Les Dawson, uh, Roy Walker. We we all all that era that you you know that you're all kind of all in, the, in the this circuit. working men's clubs, yeah. All that, and then uh, and and that's that was that was the beauty of it. You get to know everybody because you'd be in these pro digs, and you'd get a uh, you get a um, you like, you know you work late because you'd do like four clubs, uh, three and four shows in a working men's club. Then you go to a nightclub and work that uh, every night for, for seven nights a week. You know that's how you did it. And it was and at the end of the week, you go and get your, your money from the uh, agent you know in the office and and then that was fun in itself, and then uh
1: why was that fun?
2: Uh, well, i let, used let you still let Eddie go because i was, i I had you know anything to do with money and all that. and if you say like, "Well, you didn't turn up here, you didn't turn up there or whatever, which we did, we were very good like that. but you know it's, it was hard work. Well, we were taking 15 percent, and uh, uh, you know and, and were they
1: always were they a bit? Trying to fleece you, or well, it, it, it just
2: you know, they they they'd say like, oh, you know, uh, how much you're you're on you're on this and this that and the other, but it, yeah, it was, it, I, I I didn't like handling that sort of thing. No, because I remember we, we 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 started being comedy. See, so it's it's easy. I know, but it's quite easy to be a singer, because if you want, um, you go to a club, and they want like five spots, which they did in the early days. But it's sight singing. Yeah, I'll do four spots, sings there, i I'll sing all that. But the comedy is different because you know you, you you've got to give them your best in your first a, a spot, and then the second. And but that five spots is a hell of a lot of you know. Um, it's a lot a, of material. material, yeah, to keep them occupied. You know,
1: while the bingo's on, then you get wow. on again, and and it was very hard. So, we, plus if you. If you didn't grab them oh, you've got in that first spot, that, and that, then you're thinking, "I've got four more to do." Yeah,
2: well, that's right. At first, we used to save our best stuff to the last, and you think, "No, that's not the way to do it." Hit them with your good stuff, and then you know, if oh they're good, these lads will stay. What would it. you
1: good? What was your kind of opening spot? What would it be? Oh, are
2: hey, you going back at
1: now? <laughs> I'm putting you on the spot now? <laughs> yeah, I am seventy-seven now. Yeah, it's okay. Uh, we'll yeah, move yeah, on. Yeah. But,
2: uh, but
1: but that's that's it's exactly what you say is something that i find so admirable in in stand up comics yeah. and i th- just think it is one of those things that you are all right if you're in a double act you've got somebody there that's that's going through that with you but to stand there and make somebody laugh i mean if you're not a great singer but you can perform you can get oh, away with yeah. it but if you're not funny yeah. they'll let you know immediately won't oh, they oh, they in those won't days, and, yeah. and 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 I think that is what I find incredible about yeah. a stand-up comedian. Well,
2: I think what it was with me and Eddie, that, that why I think we, they liked us, the audience's eyes, because 80% of, of being a good act is, they've got to like you. Mm. And I think they did, we were like the boys next door. And it, it, we, it was like we had just thought it up and got up and did Uh Very, It looked very loose and very uh, amateurish, I suppose. But they liked that, you know, it, it,
1: and you've it, got the immediate visual, yes, yes. Ga- were you still Sid and Eddie then? Yeah, we yeah. were
2: Sid and Eddie right up to I think it was 1968, Yeah, 68. And 68, we went to this club down south. Now we we're you know, the, the Savannahs, you know what I mean. Is that
1: a different, different oh, yeah, it was, well,
2: we, like I say, we didn't know, but we, we did it okay, and we were in the, Brighton, I think it was. And it was a like a very posh uh, restaurant cabaret club, and uh, it like it was still called Sid And, Eddie. and after the, we'd done the week and we'd done very well. And the manager come up to us and he said, "Lads, he said you've done very well for me this week. He said I'll have you back. He says, but change your name." And we said, "Well, what's wrong with it? You know, Sid and Eddie, We've had it for years and all that." So uh, he he said, "Well, put it this way. He said if I phoned your agent up and said." Um, and the agent says, I've got this great double act. He said, They sing, they play guitar, do comedy. Uh, what are they called? Fred and Charlie. I thought, Ah, we get it. Fred and Charlie. You know, we, we're too close to Sid and Eddie. You know, it, it, we, but Fred and Charlie, you think, yeah, it is a bit. So that, the week after, we went up to the northeast. And I remember Eddie uh, buying a, a hand uh, typewriter. And he, he learnt to. in. And as I say, in the, back in the Pro Digs, he'd be upstairs. And he'd be writing names down that he thought would be you know good for us to have, and these things like because um, uh, he was into football, so it's and Mike Summerbee and people like Bell, so it's Summerbee and Bell, you know Mike and Bernie Winters were a big double act in in the 60s, and so we thought Mike and Bernie Winters, Sid and Eddie Summers, you know things like this, and there was loads of them so the next day he'd come down for breakfast about 12 o'clock, that's when you, you got your breakfast <laughs> it was great, it was great there were great gigs, great do's and we, we used to, we used to he, he sat there and he gave me this big sheet and he said, they are, pick a name and I'd see all these, and right in the middle little and large, I said little and large said, yep, that's the one and so, yeah, wow. and uh, and it was Eddie that got it and, and it was, from then on, that was it you know, like Inglebert didn't changed his name from Jerry Dorsey we changed it to little and large, and the world's opened up.
0: Distinct comedy, fresh and original. Get kettle on, Dotty. I'm thripping. Have you heard about her at number thirty-eight? This is she right, Emma. Yeah, she's only gone and got herself an octob. Meet
3: Florian Dottie Dotty by Janice Fryett two northern lasses who love a good goss.
0: She's invited us round to help her christen it. You might need to trim your lady garden a bit.
3: And they'll have a sideswipe at anything, from the neighbours and social issues to sexuality and social media.
2: Gypsy queen? No, thanks, Satan. I'm on a health kick. Well, you don't look very healthy right now. You've got a funny colour.
3: A distinct comedy presentation, only on distinct nostalgia.
0: It'll be just like Love Island. Love Island? Are you kidding? Lesbian love island, more like if it's just us three.
3: Listen by scrolling through the Distinct Nostalgia feed. Only on Distinct Nostalgia.
1: When I ran out of children's books, I used to read from Woman's Home.
0: Who knew a four year old would be gripped by an article on Cross Stitch? We're uniting the ages with Generation Games, a series of comedy and drama monologues and duologues coming exclusively to Distinct Nostalgia. Stories exploring connections, friendships, and relationships between people across different age groups, beginning with Missing You, starring June Brown and Sam Barnard.
2: Mum thinks I need protecting, but I don't need protecting from love.
0: Pity that social worker of his can't do something
1: useful for a change. Contact the noise abatement lot, put in a complaint. I like her, I said, and then. Silence.
2: What's the problem? I asked. they will take advantage of you,
0: Mum warned. Missing You by Richard Vergette with the legendary June Brown only on Distinct Nostalgia. More than a podcast.
2: It it got better and then I remember our agent of the day, Major Brown Hart in Nottingham he was from and ex-army and all that he was he was okay but but he got he did he was all right for us he he pushed us which we didn't want some of the things and he wanted us to do opportunity knocks and we said we don't you know we we thought we'd made we've been going eight years now from 63 right you know wherever it was and uh, and we thought everyone knew us we were happy just doing yeah what so we were doing. so the,
1: there wasn't that sense of
2: getting higher getting
1: higher and higher no no, no
2: we we never we didn't we were happy because in those days like i say the, there was, we wouldn't do the same club twice in a year because there was that many of them all yeah. over the country and it was fabulous you know it was like it, the, the clubs replaced the theaters because the theaters all died when television came out and uh, you know for for for, for, for vaudeville yeah. for variety. variety
1: stuff yeah. and, and,
2: and and that was it. it we just kept going and then he he said you've got to go you know to get you on television and we thought, oh, no, you know, and all this. And so he kept pushing and pushing. And there was a, a, the producer was called Royston Mayo. Huey Green uh, was a compare, as you know. And uh, Royston Mayo was the producer. And, and our, Brian Brian Hart, I met our agent, kept pushing him all the time. Oh, the lad, these lads are great and all that. And so eventually, you know, we said, we, we don't want to go to the audition. We haven't got time. And all this, so the, the, it was Royce to get him off his head. He went with another two. You always had to be three people who would judge his like, you know. Mm. So he came. We were, they were in Liverpool doing auditions, and we were at the Wookie Hollow in Liverpool, the Wookie. And so we, we we went on stage, and he was in the audience with the other two from the the Upnux team. And uh, he came back in the dressing room after we done. We did a storm, you know. Wow. He said, he said, I remember you two about eight years ago, he says, and uh, Rubber Ball used to do this number called Rubber Ball, bouncy, bouncy. And Eddie mm-hmm. used to bounce about, bouncy, bloody bouncy. You know. He said, I hated you, I didn't like you. He said, but wow, you've come on, you know. And uh, so he said, you can't, the first show's already booked. Second show, we'll put you on the second or the third show. And we were booked, like I say, doing, so we, I think we went on the third show of Opportunity Hots 1971. And much to our surprise, we won it. We're not jumps, you know, friends, yeah. friends, friends. If you can't spell them at large, just put crap, I know what you mean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Who that said was that? one of those he... gags. Yeah, oh, yeah, right. yeah. Oh, no, not me Oh, right.
1: <laughs> yeah,
2: he delivered it better than that. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, it, it was, um, you know, it, was, it wasn't instant, neither. You know, it's like Freddie Starr went on it. He was, because he went on to do other things. But that was 1971, and it wasn't till. Uh, we're still going on a bit. We, in fact, '72. we got offered what's it called Cracker Jack. Oh, uh,
1: yeah. When,
2: when it had been off television for a while, when Eamon Andrews used to do it and that. And it, 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 it came back, and it was... Michael Aspel was the, was the link man, as it were. But do you know, Elaine Page, she was one of the girl singers oh, with, with us. Yeah, and, and, and uh, that was it. And me and being Eddie, little and large. And it nearly killed us. It was 13 weeks in sort of February, January, February time of '72, and uh, we were doing getting the train to Euston to rehearse, then coming back to go on the clubs, Wakefield or wherever we were working. It was hard work, and it nearly killed us. But not not only that, it nearly destroyed our, you know, the, the, what we were trying to achieve. We, we all of a sudden overnight we became kids entertainers, which we didn't want. We didn't want to be, you know. We'd worked all that time in the hard man's working men's clubs and pubs and everything. Just, you know, we, we didn't want it. you know no. Man, you have you said that the Chuckle Brothers did okay. Aren't yeah, they did, didn't, didn't they? <laughs> and they went through. We was used to bump into a lot of time before they became famous as well. But anyway, so, you know, that that was it, and it took us about eighteen months to get back to. Because we, we got to the working men's club, Sheffield and places like that, and there'd be kids with, with the, the mothers would be feeding with the, the milk bottles, you know, and all that, and running round the club. And we didn't want that, you know.
1: No, it's completely different. Yeah, audience, yeah, yeah, it
2: was because we, we weren't a blue act or anything, but you know, it was, we were quite adult. It, like I say, it took eighteen months, and then we eventually got our thing back. And but the good thing about it now, Royston Mayo, uh, as I say, was the producer of uh, Knox. Uh, it was coming to an end the Op Knocks in 77 I think mm-hmm. it was and Royston uh, used to have us uh, on different things You know, uh, the All Winners Show I remember being on it with Les Les Dawson and things like that it was a, an, a any any chance he could have us he'd use us on the TV that he was doing whatever and then when it came off the air um, Opportunity Knocks it was a slot on a Monday night and it was uh, quarter to seven till half past seven, 45 minutes, and then it was Coronation Street. And in those days, yeah, BBC One, BBC Two, um, ITV, and so you know we we we, we got offered uh, to do it a, a, um, do a pilot show, and right. the pilot show is if you um, you know the, the, if you're any good they'll make you a series and it's just to test you to see if you're any good and Royston was the producer which was great you know so we got Royston on um he got us on board and we, we did our first little and large show and it went very well it so
1: that well. was doing your act that you were doing the clubs or was it well changed slightly for that that pilot because you came very sketchy exactly didn't it and it, it was it, it was
2: television Yes. Yeah, it so... was completely different because that was the first thing you, you get told you know, uh, you, you know on, you're on the clubs you're alright because you've got all night to get win the uh, but when you go on television you've got three minutes that's when we first went on Hot Knocks and you think well, what, what part of the acts can we do in three mm. minutes but we did it so that's helped and then you, you do it's a completely different format television i never liked television i, I never I, I was always nervous mm. i was always you know it, i was uncomfortable i love live shows but i was just uncomfortable with it and eddie took to it like a duck to water i mean r- like i was hopeless at sketches as, as re- you know um reading yeah i, I, I was a terrible i, I had to i had to have it in car on a tape you know and listening to it the, learning the, what, words, learning the so. words over and over again. Eddie could hear it two or three times, read it two or three times, and he'd, he'd have it off like that. And it was very hard for me, you know, yeah. to, to to get it. But I, I did, and obviously did, because we, you know, we you went did. on to do the series in 1977, and we went from nowhere to 13 in the ratings in our first series, and, and we were getting sort of 20 million viewers or something on a Monday night. Yeah. Be- but, uh, no, uh, Coronation Street was following us, you see. Mm. We, we, it was a clever little slot. And and it was hard work because, you know, I remember Roy the first time he said he'd come in, we'd be in the rehearsal room, and he'd walk through the door. This was before we'd started, he said, but we we're looking forward to it. And he got this big pile of papers like that, and he dumped them on the table and said, Right, you know, put a show together. Hey, eh? you know, re- get the scripts, you know, because they're all scripts, you know, for, for sketches. And he and it, it was just as scare as, and, and all that. And then he, he knew. He knew which ones he wanted to do, mm. and all that, and what the sketches And they were very good, I can't remember. some most, One of them I can remember, where we were, like, a, there was a sh- piece of sheet music, and we were moving the notes around, and, the, and then, you know, and it was it, it, quite... Un, you know, you can't explain it very well on, on radio, but it was... Uh, and we... We, like I say we went and that was it. We went from nowhere to thirteen, and then and uh, that was it. And we lost one of the shows because there was a strike at Thames Thames Television. That's where it was done. A lovely, th- that was a lovely t- studio there, right by the Thames. Yeah.
1: yeah.
2: Anyway, so we we that was it. So we'd made a name and we did our first big summer season at the North Pier, Blackpool.
1: So that came after the telly, yes. did it? Yeah.
2: Seventy seven was our big year because we did a television show in uh, in, the Mar- in the April, and then we did the North Pier uh, in Blackpool with Frank Carson, Norman Collier, and Jim Davidson. It wow. was, was only twenty-one, Jim. Yeah, in fact, he was on his first wife. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> yeah. So 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 so. so it's, and and little large topping. And me and Eddie said, we can't top that lot. You know, flipping it. You know, Frank Carson, and we did. You know, it was a sellout uh, thing.
1: I mean, they were... The summer seasons in Blackpool oh. were phenomenal, wasn't they? Because you had yeah. every single pier. You yeah. had the Winter Gardens, yeah. the Grand Theatre, and they would all be yeah. two shows a day.
2: Two shows a night, yeah. Two shows a night. Six o'clock and eight o'clock, or so roundabout that yeah. time, yeah.
1: And and if you were playing somewhere like the Winter Gardens or the North Pier, that's it. Yeah. They're like two, a thousand. Two thousand it's a 1,000
2: on the North Pier, because I always remember... Uh, I don't know if it was 77 it might have been 79 no it was 77 and we were packed you know and it, um, Danny LaRue was at the Opera House and he was topping there and he invited us out one, one night with our, our wives you know I was married to Cherie then and Eddie was with his wife and and we went to, to this uh, uh, restaurant I don't know where it was in Blackpool quite a posh one and he had, the, and he said right girls I want you with me so that you know, our wives sat at the side of him and uh, he started chatting and and you know he's, he's, and we are saying like and people say, what? you know? oh they're coming over and Danny you know, like, great lads you're sold out aren't you fantastic every night every performance wow brilliant and Danny says boys he said when you're full I might only be half full but I've get, still got more people in oh. than you which he did because yeah. it was like a two three, or two, three thousand yeah. seater yeah. so you know he, he always had it you know even when i'm half full i've got more people in than you and you know inevitably in in that you get yeah you know. yeah but uh, but that's massive isn't it
1: two shows a night. yeah a thousand people yeah per show yeah. 1100 actually 1100 yeah. walking down the pier oh, walking yes. down blackpool pier <laughs>
2: right in october
1: yeah <laughs> yeah because it's a long season as well because of the illuminations yeah, it's, it's not uh, just the 18, summer holidays.
2: 19 weeks yeah Oh yeah, that's the beauty of Blackpool was—the the lights, yeah. Yeah. Because I think the last summer season we ever did in Blackpool, me and Eddie together, was 1993, and it was at the Opera House. Joe Longthorne.
1: I uh, think I saw that.
2: You might have done. I think I did. Uh, who else? D- uh, Devere, Richard Devere, used the magician at mm-hmm. the Pleasure Beach for years, and a few others I can't remember. Oh, Norman Collier. And uh, and I can't remember, I don't think Frank was with us. No, he wasn't. And uh, and it was two shows a night, and this is the opera house now. Now he's talking 2000 now, two shows a night for six nights a week, and it was packed again because Joe was a good pull, he yeah. Pulled, so Little and Large and Joe Longthong, and uh, it was fantastic. And that's when Royston Mayo again, see, he was doing at that time 93. A program called "This Is Your Life," and we didn't know. Our wives you know, My wife, Cherie sort was. It was all secret because if you got to know that you were on it, they cancel it. They cancelled it, yeah, didn't they? But yeah, but we never, we never knew from. And I think it was first muted in the, the April of that year, and it comes out in September. You're nabbed in September. And so to keep it a secret—that's a long time to keep a secret. And my little lad, who's now thirty odd, whatever, he—he—he was only five, if that—I can't remember—but he's only young. And she had because these strange men are coming to our house while I'm performing, you know. And so she knew it was safe to come and talk about, like we're talking now, what Sid and Eddie did in the past. And uh, so, uh, mummy, who's that? You know, keep it a secret, but don't tell daddy. And he did. I mean, for a little kid to keep something like that, and it was it was great. And anyway, so that particular night, he, um, uh, well, I've, I've seen it. You know, when we we didn't know, and we used to finish the first half uh, in, with a song called "Singing in the Rain." And um, Tommy Steele had it for a show he used to went round Britain with, and it was a proper. The rain came down. Yeah. And and we we you know we're in these suits, and we got drenched. T- two shows and we had two suits. I
1: definitely and saw the show. It, I yeah. remember, and it.
2: and it was singing doobie doobie doob and all that, and oh, it was quite funny. And uh, uh, well, most of it must have been. It was great. And with the curtains closed and they lifted up again, and we were taking a bow, and the audience is going wild, you know. And we thought, wow, we've never had this re- <laughs> you know, good reaction, but <laughs> this is like O.T.T., you know. And it flipped more and it wouldn't stop, you know, more, more. And unbeknown to us, Michael Aspel—he's walking from behind with one of the girls under an umbrella, one of the dancers, you know, who uh, were dressed in bikinis and things. But they, uh, uh, anyway, they were walking, and, and they walked right to the front. And I looked down, and there's this fellow with wellies on. And I looked up, and he said, "You know, little and large, this is your life, you know. And wow, you know." And mm. but the sad bit was. He said, "Right, we're going to." He said, "Wow, this is your life," and they're going mad. The audience. He said, "Right, we're going to whisk you away to a warm studio in Manchester because it was done there, Manchester." And all the audience went, "Ah," oh, because they want. They was hoping it happened there and then. Yeah. But it didn't, and we did it about half past
1: one in the morning. Yeah, because you had to do your second show. And yeah, everything. yeah,
2: to do the, the and all all our uh, all the art uh, stars and uh, people that. Uh, You know, come said they'll come on the show. We're all waiting in the studio, so we had to quick shower. They had clothes and everything waiting for us. We went in the dressing room. Uh, Sheree was asked what does Sid like to drink, and you know, and Eddie and I had a bottle of red wine there waiting for me. Oh, great, you know, nice. And uh, that was the last summer season that we did. And then after that, that's when the, the, the 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 demise of the summer seasons in Blackpool. Well, everywhere. Because the acts that were coming through then could go to the O2 Arena and fill it in one night, and they could make as much money in one night that we made in a season, and that's and that was
1: the difference. People are travelling abroad, aren't they, for a holiday? Exactly. And yeah. People don't get more for the money. Want that kind of? Unfortunately, yeah. that entertainment was then on television, or yeah, it was. Yeah you know you had video you yeah. had you had the cinema it's yeah. it's well it's the kind thing of is the stars of the
2: day didn't want to do it mm. because what why do they want to sit in a dressing room like you just said two shows a night sit in a dressing room and wait for the second show when you know you could fill a, another place and you, you don't they didn't need it they didn't need to do summer seasons and that was it mm. and like pantomime suffered the same thing they didn't want to do sit in a dressing room and you know, or th- three hours of on and off, on and off the stage. It, that's why it died.
1: And it's a shame in, in so many ways, but I suppose that's it's like you saying about rock and roll being the yeah. new kind of music. Things yeah. move and and you can only... They progress. You, yeah. yeah, you can only keep that going for so long as yeah. well, can't you? Well,
2: it's like every generation... Uh, I, I remember, uh, like you've just said about rock and roll, when that first came out, my dad and uh, his generation... This is rubbish. This, you know, blinking. You know, or oh, what? The big bands were wiped out uh, of the day, and and it was really of the day. Then when like the eighties and the nineties started coming in, and the music, m- me and Eddie hated the music because it was there was nothing to get. You know, it was all this electric and all that. You know, the mm. and and it was nothing you could. It's, I think the nearest thing that that got us back for a while. Uh, was uh, the Oasis, and he used to do a great impression of Oasis, and mm. he "You gotta roll with it, you <laughs> and it, you know the guitar. Do you remember the when yeah. he used to drop it on the floor? <laughs> yeah, and uh, amazing that. And you know, we did, we did well, you know. Yeah. Uh, to, 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 we got the best years of a variety, I think.
0: Sid Little speaking to Caroline Hayward in part one of Little Remembers Large. Keep listening for part two of Little Remembers Large as Caroline begins her new series with a range of comedians looking back at their comedy memory lane. Distinct Nostalgia is produced by MIM and there are loads more excellent shows to listen to on our website. Danny Rogers recalls growing up with 321's Dusty Bin. So my first encounter with Dusty Bidden was my dad sort of wheeling him out as a young boy. I had no clue what this thing was and I was frightened, of course, but as it went on, I was like, oh, this is my new best friend. (laughs) And I was one of the lucky few that actually had one in their bedroom. Kathy Gorey discusses the legacy of Rosemary the telephone operator. Halal, halal. I had an effect on a bunch of Gen Xers or maybe I was their first female crush or something, but I meet men, some of them quite powerful now, who grew up watching me. You know, watching Rosemary, rather. But I thought, this is nuts. And they let me do pretty much what I wanted to do. Everything was always rhyming. Some you call the police department on Hong Kong. And that's, that's what I thought Rosemary would sound like. And John Boy himself talks about his childhood with the Waltons. It was really one of the great ensemble TV shows. I mean, we had 11 regulars. And although the story was told from John Boy's point of view, one of the great things about the show was the main story could be about the little... Kid, one week, or it could be about the grandparents. So you had all this wonderful generational comprehensiveness about it. And so I would call it first and foremost a great ensemble. These programs and many more are available at distinctnostalgia.com or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe to be notified whenever a new episode becomes available. And if you like what we do, then please consider supporting us on Patreon. Every penny helps us to make even more amazing content just for you. Go to distinctnostalgia.com and click on the donate button. Thank you for listening, and bye for now.
1: Distinct Nostalgia is brought to you in partnership with Life Rooms and Mersey Care NHS Foundation Trust. We've lots of activities for
0: you to do at home at liferooms.org. Staying well. Staying home.